podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend at Neil Atkinson to come. John Gibbons talking to Michael and Louisa uh, around the Anfield Music Project he's been working with for some time. Uh, John also uh, has been having a chat. You might have heard it in Lower League, but we wanted to put it out about the scenes that are going on at Bolton. Uh, we're going to be talking about that as well. I went to London. I spoke to Michael Cox about his new book uh, and about Klopp and Guardiola in that context. How was but- he? He was sound. Yeah, we had a nice pints, to be honest with you. Uh, it was one of those one of those conversations that you forget it's work. Uh, here I've got Andy Heaton uh, and I've got Kiva O'Neill, I've got Adam Smith and I've got Mike Nevin and they're going to talk about, first and foremost, Liverpool versus Porto and then later in the show we're going to have a chat about Liverpool versus Chelsea. Um, Mike Nevin, as a man who has seen European campaigns, um, 2-0 is a result I think you take in almost every home first leg imaginable. It's just... It felt a bit funny, given the fact that the goals come so early and there's so much football still to play. Yeah, um, I mean, statistically, this is one of my favourite things, really, is that something like 90% of, of 2-0 two, two leads are never turned over in Europe. And I know there's been a little bit... Well, there's been a few examples recently of, of mad turnarounds. United's one at, um, against PSG, but in different circumstances, going away from home and doing that. But... Generally speaking, it's two nil. Two nil is absolutely sound. The context is obviously last year's five nil away, and that game being done and dusted, and us having probably a lesser view of Porto than we probably should have. I thought, I thought the, I thought they were they were quite good the other night. They gave us a few problems without actually having an awful lot of the ball. But I say, ask you on that. Do you think they're better or worse than where? Do you think they're better or worse than Leicester? Because I think they're better than Leicester, quite significantly so. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And yeah. then the question is whether or not they're better than worse than United, better or worse than Arsenal. I think that I think they do as well at Anfield as Arsenal have done in many a year. I think I think in our own heads, there's been a bit of a change around in the way that you view European sides over the last ten years. Maybe maybe go back a bit to fifteen years so that you can brace the Julia time. There was a time when I was absolutely terrified of of European opposition because we've been through. Plenty of years where we hadn't done well in Europe, losing to the likes of um, Brombu, um, Celta Vigo, that sort of thing. But of late, you, you tend to have a sort of a, a dimmer view of them. And I think that's because Liverpool have put seven past Maribor, they put seven past Spartak Moscow. Five past Porto last yeah, season. So, but, you know, European football is still strong. Porto's a big club, they've won the European Cup. And, you know, that's years ago, but it, it still stands for something. Um, and... It was the quarterfinal. It was it's a round on from where they were last year, so that says something about them. Yeah, I, I think they're a really good side. I think they, I think they'd be challenging for top four in this country, and that's that, 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 yeah. that's fair. And the, and the, you know, the, the, without naming names, probably because I can't remember. Um, you know, they've 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 got some decent players. So all things considered, two nil, eminently acceptable, and fully expect Liverpool to go through. Andy, there's something about the nature of those goals and how it plays out that did leave, I think, people feeling a bit flat, as I just said to Mike. I think there is a little thing around that of, you know, when you are 2 up after so early in the first half, you do end up sort of feeling like, and I think this happens in all games and possibly even at all levels of football, why don't we just score every 10 minutes? We can score every 10 minutes. We should just keep doing that. That's not how football works. Well, it, it thought it's prisms in it. Cause everyone, the 5-0 is still colours people's opinion of Porto from last year. And it's all very well and good saying, oh, can't we score, you know, every every 10 minutes. But that takes two teams to engage. Um, which, oh, by the way, on previous European the uh, appearances and results, the ghost of David Zitelli for Stra- Strasbourg still haunts my dreams, Michael. Of course, yes. I remember that one. David yeah. James, not as fine as that one. Anyway, um, yeah, look, I remember going into Porto, travelling to Porto last year, and no one was anywhere near as bullish as what they were come full time. 
everyone's going, you take a score draw over there, take them back to Anfield and see where you can. And I think uh, Porto learned the lessons last year by trying to engage when they went one and then two and then tried to push on and then saw what Liverpool could do. I think uh, I think you got to give uh, Conte Sabo a bit of credit, I think, when it goes 2-0. Um, because the temptation to then throw throw everything in and go after an away goal, which is I think what Liverpool wanted them to do. You know, the game could well and truly be over. Is it over? Well, I'd be very surprised if Liverpool don't go through. I mean, the, the one to twenty on for a reason to progress. But one to twenty is far at two nil is far better than the hundred to one against that. Had, 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 had we scored the third, so you know it's. <clears throat> Porto were in the quarterfinals of the Champions League because they deserve to be in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, and I think, you know, there was a risk there that we did over underestimate them. And I think we've seen clear water. And I think we made the decision with 20, 25 to go that actually, well, you know what, unless they come on, we're going to set, this is fine for us. I think either the idea we made the decision with twenty twenty five to go is, I think Andy's right about that. I think that's one of the reasons, though, that leads to, you know, just sort of a support of frustration. I think... If Liverpool go on and get a third at any point in that second half, you really are saying consummate European home performance. Absolutely impeccable. Can't have a word said against it. That it doesn't quite come is one of the reasons why you are a little concerned going into next week, maybe. I don't I'm not concerned because going into it, it was like it's the weirdest thing ever because um of how like flat you did I did feel a bit flat after it because it was like that third goal from was sort of leaning on and you thought if we get that then we're definitely through. But we've already got our foot in with 2-0. We've got our foot in the semi-final. And it, it almost is like not as much excitement as there would have been last season or because now we expect it of this side. And it's just that feeling is bizarre. This is like, I think Leeds United got to like a semi and they talk about it still. Like, you know, yeah. we're about to do that and it just doesn't seem like an accomplishment. It is obviously and it does feel that way, but it's mad among fans because we just kind of, like confident it was so competent the win obviously we would like another couple of goals like last year when we got I, st- I, I still think um, I'll let you have a word in a minute I'm just enjoying watching <laughs> I, um, I still think everything about our European campaign is still being coloured by what everyone's thinking about the league basically mm. um, regardless I'm not I'm, I'm not making a comparison between last season and, and, and this season in Europe and, and I'm not talking about Liverpool's whole perception of the European Cup here. It, it's just this year because everyone's so obsessed with the league that any any accomplishment uh, in Europe doesn't seem quite as quite as vital and I don't think anyone can quite shake that I think that was what was leading into that game as well the build up we were kind of thinking this is a break isn't it from all the stress and the drama of the league after winning at Southampton it was like oh, European night at Anfield have a few beers have a nice little night and we, we sort of I was 100% confident Liverpool were going to get a positive result from that game and we did. So now we move on to, you know, back into the the stress and excitement of going for a Premier League title. The the big takeaway from the game, I think, for everybody was the midfield three, uh, Adam. Uh, I'm going to include all three of them. I think that Keiter and Henderson get to grab the attention, but Fabinho has a perfectly, perfectly good game at the base of it. And it was in that first half especially. Um, there was a real feeling that that midfield just sort of belonged and it fitted. Um to say that that's the first time this season that would be completely not true you know Liverpool wouldn't be where they are in the league this season if the midfield hadn't been functioning perfectly but maybe it was the, one of the first times you've seen the midfield be both very good and very 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 functional and I think that that's that's maybe the slight difference there is that for 45 minutes they did feel like creative fulcrums you did feel like they were where the goals were going to come from even if they weren't going to be the ones kicking it in the goal I think that's the key difference isn't it is that 
the whilst the midfielders functioned for the rest of the season and functioned brilliantly. Yeah, for, obviously, because look where we are in in both competitions. We it it has never really looked like the creators that it it's looked like it's been there to help the defense and to open up the space for the fullbacks to get forwards and and to let the front three do what they want. Whereas I think on Tuesday it looked like the midfielders, as you say, were, were going to be where the goals maybe were going to come from, um, or you know, or at least the, the creation of them was going to come from there. Um, my only slight hesitation about it is that. I think it's very difficult to simultaneously say that Porto had loads of good chances and then also say that the midfield functioned really well because the midfield didn't do enough to stop Porto having loads of good chances, if that, if yeah, you yeah. see what I mean with that. Um, uh, so I think, it, I, I think it, it, you're right. But for me, uh, you know, there were, there were times when I wanted Henderson to just drop back a little bit alongside Fabinho and just give him that little bit more support. But I don't think that's what the manager wanted because I think the manager wanted to sort of put them on the back foot as much as possible. But I, I think that, I think in some ways people are underestimating what a good result, what, what, what a, sorry, I want to rephrase that, what a good match that was for Liverpool because they, Porto created enough chances to scare us. To make us, you know, to make us be focused when we go out to Portugal and and not just take it for granted that we've already qualified. But the two goals, I think it was, I think I saw Mister at, like, at Mister Chipping on Twitter was saying that Porto have have had a two goal deficit after the first like four times, I think, in the Champions League era and been knocked out four times. Liverpool have had a two goal lead after the first like seven times in the Champions League era and and have progressed seven times. So whilst nothing is nailed on, it is as good a result with enough of a threat from Porto to mean that nobody goes out to Portugal and think this match is done and dusted. It's sort of, it was sort of the perfect match in that sense. One of these weird counterintuitive things with tactics is, and I find it fascinating, is basically you become defensively weaker. So I'm not disagreeing with you, but sometimes when you drop, you become defensively weaker because you're inviting the opposition on. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're trying to push on and your fella's still staying higher up the pitch... They're going, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You know what I was saying earlier in the show about yeah, yeah. They're not, they're, that fear of engaging and you're almost saying, come on then, come on, as you're almost daring them to, mm. knowing that you know if they come on, they're immediately more vulnerable as well. I mean, how many times in the past have we seen, and not so much nowadays, but in the past few years, under Brendan especially, where you know, you're screaming at them to drop and drop, and the, the further they drop, the more chances they're conceding because everyone's in this mad panic and there's no control. That third centre back thing is like case in point, isn't it? Well, it, it always there was a time when it always felt like when I think Klopp specifically threw on Matip or Lovren with like five to go, we'd concede. Sends the wrong message. Sends the wrong message. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's totally fair. I, I just meant that you know I think that the argument of the midfield doing brilliantly is sort of like well, mate, Porto had a lot of chances. You know, they, they did have quite. It never, we never felt under under threat of conceding. Don't get me wrong, but they they did have chances enough to mean I, that. I'd have preferred a slightly I, more defensive midfield, I, maybe. I just think, and look, I, I could be wrong, but I just think the way this team plays, you could pop, you could have the three most technically gifted midfielders in the world in that midfield, and it'd still look like <clears throat> the weaker of the three parts of the team if you assume you defence midfield and attack just purely mm. because of the way they set up and the way they play. Yeah, well, that's that, that's what was, Mike, for me, interesting about the way they set up and the way they play was watching Henderson be not just further forward, but arguably further forward than where when Alden's been when he's been playing in that role in that yeah. position. Seeing him trying to drag the full-backs up, you saw the same thing with the sub uh, against Southampton. And also seeing Kaita be very, very close to Manny and the two of them dovetailing quite nicely is that, yeah, you know, I think the manager compromises with three in the middle of the park like that and expects them to get the output of four. And like Andy says, mm-hmm. if you are in the world, that's really, really difficult. 
Yeah. But they did have um, more f- final third output, if you know what I mean, than we, we have seen at times from almost any other selection of midfielders, not just the idea of it being them versus Henderson, Ronald and Milner, them versus almost any other midfield three we picked this season. Even once the Shakirian playing 4 2 3 one, it did feel like there was more happening going from the middle to the final third. Yeah, and I don't think it's that difficult to, to explain, really, because, you know, Kite is, you know, he, he he is ostensibly an attacking player. You could almost argue that he's almost like a fourth forward in a way in terms of the areas that he occupies. And obviously Henderson's playing, Henderson's playing 20 yards further up in the, in the sort of the normal eight roll versus the six. Um, and there's no way that he plays that ball for the goal, the, the exquisite pass, uh, if he's playing as he as he's playing a six, but it's the vertical sort of setup that intrigues me because it is. It's I I think by having those three, it's a completely different shape. Because so basically you've got Fabino, and then you've got Henderson, and then you've got Kaita. So, so they're in a line, but not across the field, um, sort of up and down the field. So it's it, it's an interesting shape. Um, and it's a, it is a bit. I think it's a bit of a departure as well from from what we've done for the most part this season. Um, the irony is that having selected a more attacking side, it's probably one of our less spectacular attacking performances. Said it by the sound of the second half comes. Yeah. But Mike, on that, go back a couple of weeks. The manager did say after I think United and after Everton. You just say something that almost like which feels it felt almost like portents of doom territory. If you know what I mean, we said you know we're going to have to think about changing things because more and more now we're going to sides even like Manchester United, and they're happy with the nil. And that mm. you know that that that's what I was thinking when I was watching that game was when you're saying there it is a bit of a departure. It is, and I wonder if this is you know if part of this has become and as ever it feels like a bit of an accident. Henderson's gone for a charter, etc. etc. Et but if you've been thinking, yeah, we're going to have to do something here. Yeah. Um... But I think the the good thing about it is that we've got that we've got the memory of, of last year, um, which you know everyone's been going on. I want to step back to more more of an attacking mindset because last year we, we we ripped teams apart. But the comfort is that we haven't really needed to to um, regress away from that. It's probably the wrong way of expressing it, but it's in our muscle memory really that we we can be attacking. And if teams come for a for a for a nil nil, then we can try and go go out and blow them away in the first. 20 minutes by being more attacking that effectively that's what what we did the other night so I, I think you know I'm comfortable with it um I don't expect to see it game in game out and it'll be horses for courses over the last nine games depending on whether we reach the great uh, Duncan Jenkins chat there um there that? is there is something keeper in in Fabinho's performance where and I think he looks happy when Henderson's on the pitch. I think you saw that against Southampton. But where he's, he's he he likes to move that ball forward quickly, and he wants the two of them to be willing in front of him to pick it up and and turn and do a little bit. And I thought that Fabinho's performance almost went under the radar a tiny little bit. I thought he was better than he was against Southampton, where he definitely struggled. I thought against Porto he was impressive. Yeah, he really refreshing the other night. Um, obviously, as he struggled a little bit against Southampton, but um, then balls he plays forward. It just looks like just not into him, and he just knows where where to put it and how quick to do it. A lot of the times we've been stagnant and Henderson and Milner even could be called for that in a few games this season where, you know, they've turned or moved past it sideways a little bit and, you know, his sort of natural urge is to just pump the ball forward and that's just great to see and he does it with such effect and, like, a dominance. There's, like, something in his shoulders and his legs and he just looks like, I'm going to hit this ball and no one's going to get to it other than... 
player in a red shirt. It's the second side, Andy, that have come to Anfield. Uh, second side, sorry, third consecutive side that we faced that have argued play, be play, played something that looks a bit like four, five, two, three when you write it down. Uh, sacrificing midfield, almost saying, well, Liverpool don't create all that much from midfield. And then all of a sudden, Liverpool decide to play some creative midfielders and have them be creative. It strikes me that Klopp's not an idiot. I think these things may be related. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think he was spot on as well. I think it was a really good interview with, with Jordan Henderson, funny enough, on the fish, official site, if no one's read it today. Yeah. And he addresses exactly what you've just both been saying. He's, you know, we've not had a player like Fabinho before who's a natural in that position. Uh, and so we, we, he basically said, I've had to learn that position. And him being there, it, 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 the gist you get from it is that it opens up so many options tactically ahead of Fabinho that previously went there because you can, you can then take overload or take more risk. Because you've got a fella behind it who's, it, it's more second nature to him. There's a lot of, in all this sort of discourse, Adam, what strikes me is there's still so much talk about growth changes within this side that I think the manager has very much, it's, he's walking a very good fine line between sticking with what you know and sticking with what's brought you here so far, but also being able to change it, tweak it, you know, Henderson there and having that conversation. Other little things that I just said with Mike, maybe Liverpool choosing to be a bit more creative from the middle of the park because people have got on to the fact that so much of it comes from fullbacks. But there are those constants in there and those constants are the way this team plays for one another. And the best example of that, I thought, on, on Tuesday night was the performance of Milner. Yeah, I think it's about sticking with what the with who the manager trusts as well and and you know people can can berate that the Henderson Wijnaldum um, Milner midfield as much as they want but there's a reason the manager keeps picking it despite how well Fabinho has settled there's a reason that he's not necessarily being played in the biggest games and I think it's because the manager doesn't necessarily trust them to do to do specific roles. And I think that's maybe why Cater's struggled a little bit as well, because he's not always done the work tracking back that Klopp expects of his midfielders. And that's put, that puts his defence under a little bit of pressure. Um, and in, in terms of Milner, you, the manager just knows what he's going to get from him, uh, which is, you know, just a, a consummate performance. And, you, you know, sometimes you will get one where he, he maybe can't quite find the pass a few times or or one of my frustrations is when he, he plays idiotic crosses time and again when he, he it's normally when he's played at right back but when he's when he's just in the the right sort of mood he's the kind of player who just delivers exactly what you want and I, and I think that's something that maybe a lot of people underappreciate this manager appreciating if that makes sense because I think I think Henderson's the perfect example of that as well, is the manager knows he's going to do the job that he's been asked to do. He's not going to have any problems with him. He's going to do what he's been asked to do. The, the, maybe a lot of supporters watching might not like that, but that's irrelevant because the manager knows this is the performance I'm going to get. And that's what he gets from Milner as well, even at left back. It's it's essence of a winner stuff, I think, Mike. Watching Milner the other night, there was, you know, he had two, I've, I've cited it in other places, but he had two. Within five minutes, terrible passes played to him, and he made something out of both of them. Once he just he makes sure that it go, it was played back to him. He was very much in the left back position. He makes something out of it. Then Origi, I think, plays him a dog of a ball, and um, I think he he, he he doesn't just deal with it. He then goes past two slowly and <laughs> ends up in the box. I think it, you know it, it's that's what you you know if you're playing football and you've got someone like that playing with you, it doesn't often make you feel good. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's got everything in terms of the right mentality. I mean, we've talked, we've laughed about his Protestant penalties, haven't we? And he's, he's, but he's cold-blooded, and that's an incredible quality in a player um, because when we're at this business end of the season, it would be dead easy for Liverpool to become all emotional and, 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 all, and all of that. Um, and it probably stands us in good stead going into the, the, the last nine games. Um, and 
the, the thing about just going back to what Adam was saying there before about you said sort of even though he was at left back, he's actually more suited to left back because he's going to have his body, and it just puts him into better positions. And he, mm. you know, he's a, he, he's a good he's a good passer of the ball, doesn't waste the ball. Um, I mean, he's just he's just a perfect all round football footballer. I think he gets I think he gets underrated because he's just been around so long. You just take him for granted. And he's been at Liverpool now about five years. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and. But the nature of James Milner is that he will always be underrated because of, of who J- James Milner is, if you know what I mean, personality-wise. I think there's that stat that we always, always hear, that when he scored, um, he's never lost a game. And that just that is just James Milner, isn't it? And he does often get overlooked, like even the Southampton game. It was him and Henderson who come on. Henderson obviously scores and assists, and Milner's just sort of there, but he's doing so much as well. Mm. Um He's just an unbelievable player and we've got him in his twilight years, but I feel like he's probably been better for us than he's been anywhere else. Like, I think he scored more goals for us than he has for anyone else. He's not far off in assists as well. So I feel like we've actually, you know, we've got this in his 30s sort of fella, but he can play anywhere on the pitch and he just does a job. He's an out-and-out winner. James Milner was born to be old, wasn't he, at the end of the day? So so his twilight years are very nice. Thank you very much. I was going to say, despite that picture of him 16 with the tash playing for Leeds, (laughs) but he looks like a pudding, doesn't he? And I don't mean that to to slag him off, but he just looks like a run of the mill Yorkshire lad. You guarantee he was good at tennis, good at cricket. Yeah, very square jaw. And also he's got but his shape and I think that aids him. He's the he's the lad if you're playing five or six aside, you just can't get the ball off. Cause he's quite quite stocky, low centre of gravity, big ass, knows what's going on all around him. And it's never glamorous, but actually, you know what? Hell of a lot of the time you need something like that. Bad ball coming in, you like bump someone off, turn round and just get just get the job done. Apart from when he comes on as a substitute because his first two minutes every time he's come on the season been absolutely horrendous. Um Salah was very dangerous outside the box, Adam. I think he was, you were constantly waiting for him to just do the next thing. Uh, but he stretched them, he worried them, he made sure they couldn't get out. I think it's, a, again, I think it's a it's a very good performance. It would have been nice to see him crown it with a goal. Um, I think he has a couple of times fading in on that left foot where he feels as though something's on and it's never quite there. But he is he's the epitome of dangerous at any level in any game. And he absolutely is. But I also think he, the, the, the performance against Porto, for me, is why it's the sort of performance that that makes a mockery of those people that only look for goals. Those people who say he hasn't played well because he hasn't scored a goal. Because the you know the clip that sort of everyone will have seen by now doing the rounds on Twitter and stuff of him of him chasing back into the the left back spot when Porto looked like they're going to break. That 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 summarizes his game and and it and it sort of summarizes this team i think in a lot of ways that they are all fighting for each other that no one's leaving anyone you know hung out to dry um and he d- defenders can never not think about him even when he's been through a bit of a barren spell even when he's gone through all of the the sort of trouble he's gone through at the moment him not scoring goals for eight games apart from the one the other day all of that stuff they can never not think about him because he always looks dangerous and he always looks like he's 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 got either a, a shot on or a pass on that is going to cause them problems, and that 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 is just invaluable in, in a team. A player who who is doing stuff for the team, even that, that's away from what his job is in inverted commas to score goals. He's doing stuff away from that, which is really aiding the team. But he's also 
offering the such a threat that the opposition can't forget about him, which opens space for Firmino, opens space for Mane, etc. Uh, there's still a job to be done on this second leg, Mike. You expect Liverpool to qualify. I mean, we're going to have, and we're going to come on to talk about a very arduous game against Chelsea at the weekend. Um, but I thought that whilst Porto do create little bits and pieces around there, I wasn't that worried about them. That said, you know, there's a lot to be said goals change football matches and if Porto do get the first goal and if they do get it early and if they very much adopted the attitude of right we've got you know however many minutes remaining 60 minutes remaining just to get a second and drag this into extra time they, they look, they've got that in them I think and that's my one worry is they do actually look like they're in this for the long haul and not getting made a show of Agreed but you know even at 1-0 they've still got to come out and, and, and Liverpool have shown time and again that on the counter attack, um, you know, they, they, they can be devastating, even when we're, you know, we're at nil nil, um, where Bayern had to come out and get one. So I, I, I haven't really got any any concerns. The, the only downside really is that there's, there's enough in it for them um, that we have to counter to not be able to sort of rest players ahead of our next league game after that. But I, I honestly can't see how that uh, overturned see I don't mind the, not having to rest players I'd rather they be sharpening on the metal and needing to get someone I just think at this stage of the season you know yourself Mike we've seen it 2000 I think you've said yourself players only get tired when they're losing or they've got nothing to play for and there's, yeah. so much, there's so much to play for at the minute you know it's a weird one isn't it the, the away game because logically you think right sit back and wait for them to push on but in the in the same sense you know that one goal for us effectively kills the tie and we've yeah. seen we've seen atmospheres in games when Liverpool have got an early away goal and it just totally deflates the entire the entire stadium. So it all depends on on, on how they feel going into it. Um, I just think sometimes if you go there with the with the, with the idea of we're going to sit back and wait for them to tie it out, you're always taking a risk. And if they they get a goal, as Neil said, that you know that they get the dander up, and then suddenly you think, oh God, if they score another, then it, it really is a game. And then we've got a force. The thing is, he's, what forward. you're saying though is, that if they get a goal in front, and then if they get a second, I mean, it's it, no, they are, these saying, are massive but, ifs. But no, no, they are, no, they are two massive ifs. But what I'm saying is, it is it not actually more not defensive minded, but more actually more conservative yeah, to go and okay. try and get that goal and kill it early, yeah. as opposed to try and try and wait it out and take um, that risk. We'll find out more on that to come. Uh, also to come, we've got John on Bolton, uh, and we've got him uh, talking to Michael and Luigi about the wonderful work that's going on at Anfield. But first, uh, just after this, you've got me and Michael Cox on the running and what it says about the, the direction of European football tactically for the last 10 years. I'm in a London pub with Michael Cox, author of The Mixer, and now Zonal Marketing, which is also his Twitter handle and the, the name of the column that made him famous. Uh, and I want to talk to you. Michael, about your book, Zona Marking, which is coming out at the end of May. But what's really interesting about your book is the second half of it details basically the last five, six, seven, maybe ten games of this season, the direction of travel that all of European football has gone yeah. over that period of time, which is effectively this battle slash compromise slash meeting of minds between Klopp and Guardiola, between German and Spanish football, between the fact that these two managers are now much more similar maybe than they'd, they'd, they'd have thought in 2012. Yeah, that's been the interesting thing. I mean, they're probably the last two great coaching revolutionaries, I think, in, in European football. Obviously come from very different backgrounds, different countries, different styles of football. Um, but I think their period in Germany together, where you had the mix of Guardiola's tiki-taka, if you like, and Klopp's pressing high up the pitch and both kind of realised the need to evolve and adapt and adjust and to incorporate bits of the other's philosophy and that's kind of manifested itself in 
Liverpool versus Manchester City, which I think in some ways you can almost rebadge as Germany versus Spain in terms of footballing philosophies, at least. There's something where, when, it, when I think of Klopp this season, and when I think of every, every decision Klopp's made, I've been arguing for a while that if you, if you look at Klopp's decisions, with the possible exception of a short-term loan for Stephen Colker, since he arrived at Liverpool, he's very much been planning, I think, that at some sort of point he's going to have to go toe-to-toe with Pep Guardiola's Manchester City to win a league. That that makes sense if you understand why he doesn't compromise on Van Dijk, mm-hmm. why he's not prepared to go and get any goalkeeper other than the perfect one. But that across the board, whilst he's been at times fortunate, which would include the Salah signing as, mm-hmm. you know, he himself has spoken saying it wasn't his first choice, mm-hmm. that it's been very much targeted on this idea that eventually he knows what Guardiola does, he knows what he's up against, and he's thinking and planning for that. Yeah, I think you're completely right, especially in terms of those uh, those transfers that they held out for. I mean, regardless of what happens from here, it's been an incredible season. I mean, it will be. The do you think that as an outsider, because we're very stuck in our Liverpool bubble, do you, do you genuinely think people think it's been an incredible season? I think so. It's been the, the season I've enjoyed most for a long time, probably since 2014, last time Liverpool challenged for the title, because it's a title race. I mean, when was the last time we had a proper title race? Honestly, Leicester just about, even they won it by 10 points in the end. Yeah. So, uh, you know... You compare this to other European leagues, and this is basically the only show in town after you know after Bayern have smashed Dortmund five 0 at the weekend. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it's been an incredible season, and, and these two will get the highest combined points total of the top two by far in the Premier League era, which is going to be no consolation to whoever comes second. But it's two really great teams, and you know, and I know you've spoken this about about this before, but even if Liverpool come second, they probably would have won the league with this team. Eight times out of the last ten, not just in terms of points, but in terms of quality of the team, because this is you know all round they've got fantastic from front to back. You could maybe argue midfield creativity isn't there compared to some other sides, but that comes from the fullbacks. You know, I think they've got everything, and, and so have Manchester City. So for me, this is the highest quality title race the Premier League has ever had. Without sort of want to, I'm going to ask you by the way in a minute or two who you think is going to prevail, uh, which may be unfair, but we are where we are. There is. There is something where I can't quite work out what happens next. You know, you've written this book which details European trends going from, from 92 right the way through until now. And as I say, the second half of it almost feels like it's set up for the season. And it's interesting having just read it. You know, you do sight games from February this year, which suggests you think that as well. Mm-hmm. There is a there is something, I think, where, I, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure where we all are in six months' time, if you almost know what I mean. Like, is this Liverpool's one? big throw, I don't think it is, but then the pace that City demands that everybody else has to go out to compete with them is so great. I mean, it's a young team, Liverpool. You're not looking at that and thinking it's the last chance, the same way I thought about, for example, off the top of my head, Roma in, in 2010 or Napoli last year under Sarri when Sarri was about to leave. You would maybe have a slight concern um, in terms of what happened with Club at Dortmund, where they dipped massively towards the end, but I don't think there's any sign of that yet. That was a kind of three-year dip towards a certain point, having been winning the title and got to the Champions League final. I'm um, not as intense as Dortmund were. Exactly. I think that's fair. And also, Guardiola doesn't have a history of going any more than three years, really, considering his fourth season at Barca was a disappointment. So I don't think there's any particular reason to think Liverpool will, will slump before Manchester City, really. Um, on the, with reference to the book... I think what's, what grabs me is, for instance, um, you talk about, for instance, Guardiola doesn't like dribbling. He allows Messi to dribble, no one else really gets to dribble in a non-Guardiola way. And then he goes to Bayern and then he gets Ribéry and Robin. Yeah. And I'm, I'm intrigued as to, you know, that Guardiola himself, we, we think of him as this unbelievable 
idealist and, mm. and a fair few ways he is but you know there's lots of examples there there's lots of examples of Manchester City where he compromises quite consistently quite impressively to be honest with you and I think it's one of the things that at times we we, we forget we we want to pigeonhole managers a certain way and what we when we do that what we actually do is we we underrate things that they are very good at and one of the things that Guardiola appears to be good at I think is compromise I agree I think he's far more pragmatic than we thought you know the first couple of years at Barcelona I'd say his three teams have been based around players in different positions I think Barcelona was based around Messi who ended up in the false nine position at Bayern Munich was based around the two wingers and Robin and Rubri and now I think City's team is based around Silver and De Bruyne. They've obviously got fantastic players in other positions, but even the wide players, Sané and Sterling, I think are playing functional roles to, to give space to to, uh, to Silver and De Bruyne. And it's probably both silvers, arguably. Now. Both silvers, yeah, you're right. And uh, I mean, I think it's probably the first Premier League team that's been based around the two central midfielders. So, first uh, Premier League winners that've been based around the you know the central midfielders, just completely dominating the play. Um, so yeah, he's he's adapted a lot. Do you think that the thing that surprises me that I haven't that we haven't seen from him, I do wonder whether or not it's partially because of Aguero's stark improvements and fitness style that you haven't seen more Sterling uh, through the middle. Uh, that's the I do wonder. I thought that this would be the season we'd see that we haven't really. Mm. And maybe I'll be the next season. Although I might be saying that, and then again Aguero goes another year for him. But I do sort of think that that's where he'll move Sterling eventually. What do you think? I agree. I think he's got the intelligence and I think that bit was always underrated about Sterling. You know, when he broke through at Liverpool, he played right, he played left, he played as number 10, he went to the World Cup and, and mocked Pirlo. You know, he was entrusted with that responsibility when experienced players like Rooney were not. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he's got the he's got the attributes, I think he's got the mentality, his finishing has improved considerably. Um, I've been surprised really at Aguero's improvement because I don't think Guardiola fancied him at first. His, yeah. his movement wasn't great. His link-up play, I think, was okay, but I think he's improved a lot, and I think that has probably taken Guardiola by surprise. And, and Sterling in, is probably slightly down the pecking order for a centre-forward role, albeit is, you know, probably up with, with Van Dijk for Player of the Year. I think at this time, at this point in time, isn't he? And Bernardo Silva, and Silva, yeah. Uh, the three of them have been outstanding. There is something on. Um within the book, as I say, which people can order now. It's out on the 30th of May, uh, but people can order it now, where you are detailing the journeys that these sorts of coaching philosophies go on. And mm. I think that's, that's, that's something which is fascinating, as I say. It starts back the, right the way back in 1992 uh, with Holland and tells the story of each of the big seven uh, countries in European football and how they each have their say over a period of time. It's odd, isn't it, that we've ended up in this country with effectively two, three, possibly even four of those philosophies being represented within the sort of the top six and maybe even top eight. Yeah, it's been incredible how it's come together. I mean, you know, the the, the impact of Conte, I think, at Chelsea was quite incredible. He's, he's not held in as high esteem as Guardiola as Klopp, but everyone started playing through at the back, having basically not done so for 15 years, <laughs> which is what Conte, you know, was doing going back to the old Italian style of play and with Mourinho obviously bringing the Portuguese influence before him and, and now Klopp and Guardiola it's been incredible and, and that shows what the Premier League is it's basically purely an importer of ideas <laughs> it's just a melting pot we haven't, yeah. it's, it's, it's strange isn't it you know Rodgers is now at Leicester at least Graham Potter's at Swansea yeah. I'm trying to think of other you know there are other interesting coaches as you look up and down the division but you know for instance I'm recording this in the aftermath of Liverpool Southampton I've just been talking to you about Hasenhutl. Yeah, he's come in there and he's a little bit different again but it, it is strange isn't it that we do appear to be slightly as a nation short of our own ideas Completely, but you know, on the flip side, I think you can see the inf the influence and the impact of those coaches on the national side. You know, in terms of almost 
educating the players. Uh, Kyle Walker playing right-sided centre-back. I don't think he would have done that had he not played under Guardiola. But he's, you know, his mentality has been completely transformed. And you can see that throughout the side with various players and a good young generation of players coming through. I mean, I know it's been said before, but those players coming through to play under top coaches is great for the English national side. Um, let's ask the big question then. Uh, and you don't have to, you don't have to play to a gallery. Uh, <laughs> you can go whichever way you want to go. As someone observing from afar, who do you think goes on and wins the league this season? I know it's a really tough question. I know it's so tight. How do you see it coming from here? I mean, I really think one slip for either side could decide it. At this point in time, I'd say City. Um, because I think they are slightly better side and they have the points margin. But I think Liverpool are going to be really unlucky. And the reason I think they're going to be really unlucky is I thought they were by far the better side in that game with the Etihad. Really unfortunate to lose. And I wonder whether the psychological blow of losing that in a game that I think they dominated, you know, had one, I think two hit the post, one cleared off the line in the first half. And then, you know, you dropped, was it three draws you got in the next month or so? Yeah. So I wonder whether that really has, you know, it's, I think it was January the 3rd or something. So yes. It's, it's early to call it a title decider, but I think that might turn out to be the title decider because if Liverpool had won that, and I think they deserve to, I think they would have been well out of sight. Okay, excellent stuff. Thank you very much to Michael. You can order his book now, as I said before. It is on a mark and you can get it from all the places that you order books from in advance. Out on the 30th of May. And we'll be speaking more to him about that in coming weeks and months. Neil Atkinson and Andy Heaton here talking about Red's Bet, their offers for the weekend. They are our partners in 2019. Very, very pleased to have them as lead partners with the Anfield Wrap. And if you do want to gamble around the football, do feel free to do so with them. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. And as ever, always gamble responsibly. Uh, Redsbet.com uh, to get involved. Half of your losses, uh, i.e. their profits, go back to fan-related causes. And they're very, very eager and keen to engage with fan media wherever possible. Um is one I like. Um, <clears throat> Mo Salah to outscore Chelsea. Oh, four to oh, one. Yeah. So oh, Mo Salah to literally score more goals than Chelsea. For the benefit of the tape officer, these I don't, I've just to, I've got no prior knowledge of these. Have I? No, not none whatsoever. Four to one. Did you never ask me? I would have gone. Yeah, all right, all right. Four to one. I can see that. I mean, four to <clears> one. He only well, he only needs to get one, doesn't he? And he we only, win one nil. Yeah, and we win one nil. I mean, what, how many goals do Liverpool can see at home anymore? Not a lot. I did actually have a uh, Mo Salah to score two against Southampton. I was really unlucky with that one. So yeah, I might yeah. You know what? I might have a little go with that. It's quite interesting that. that one, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, what what is you? I mean, if you look at the, the odds for him just to score, and uh, then extrapolate that out. Exactly. Uh, well, Mo Salah to score and Liverpool to win is two to one. So I'd rather have four to one. It's, it's sort of the same bet. Sort yeah. of the same bet. Yeah. You're basically, yeah. your gamble is so your gamble is if you think that Liverpool aren't going to concede more than one. Then your gamble becomes right. Will will it be zero or will Mo get two? Yeah, yeah, and that's no, the argument. I'm on I'll, that. I'll score. Obviously. And also, as well, you got to think about given how the midfield might start. Might, might, Mo might find himself on penalties if Milner doesn't start. It's an excellent point that Andy's just made. He may well find himself on penalties. Uh, I am looking forward to the moment when Mo gets a pen and no one quite knows what to do, including his teammates. You know teammates. what? I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with the penalties now. Can I tell you why? Go on. So the Sergio Rico one that Milner put down the middle. Yeah. Have I told you this? Or is this in no, the story? no. Go on. This is new. So. Liverpool have done stats on him, and he's basically the either mark two. He's never stood up for a penalty in his life. So Trent could have took it, Milner took it in the end, Mo could have took it, Alisson would have took it, and it was always going right down the middle. Really? Yep. Interesting stuff. All right, I like that. I like that Liverpool are doing the work. Liverpool to win, but Eden Hazard to score. 13-2. to two. Oh. No. No, no, I can see why. I can see why, but I don't want to tempt fate. Scored seven against us in his career. Yeah, well, now he's going to... 
Yeah. Going to stay on seven? He's going to stay on seven. Okay, I like it. Forever uh, and ever. Here's one, which is an interesting one. Salah, Mane and Firmino all to score, 19 to 1. They've come close the last couple of weeks. 19 to 1? Yeah. Wow. Because uh, they've, they've come close the last couple of weeks, haven't they? Uh, obviously, it was a Southampton game. It was Firmino and Mane. Yes. And then there was a game previous to that, at 19 to 1. Oh no, Firmino, no, it's not Firmino and Mane. No, no, Sorry. no. It's, it's uh, that was that was just just it's Firmino who scored in two, two, two and two, isn't it? Mane hasn't scored for two now, and Salah hasn't scored. Sorry, uh, my my head's gone. Back. Sorry, no, I'm, I'm Salah just scores. Salah and Firmino score, do they? Yeah, yeah, that's what Salah. No, they don't. Good lord, Andy, this oh. is our jobs. Kaita gets the first, Firmino, uh, Salah gets the second, and Henderson gets the third. Yes, at there you go. I was that's literally in the ground. I knew the time. we were close. I knew we were close. <laughs> nineteen to one. Yeah, nineteen to one, all three. Ooh, then. but then you. Mm, and then are you going to score three past Chelsea? My question would be, are you going to score three past Chelsea? More than is, are they likely to get a goal each? Because I think they're all equally as likely to, to score, given the current form. Uh, all right, uh, more than fair. Uh, what I like, I think, is uh, Liverpool to win both halves, 7-2. to two. Yeah, get this one put to bed early. Uh, no messing around, no trying to be too clever. It's not the stage of the season. Get out, get it won. Especially, you know, you've got to factor in that maybe, you know, the, the pressure isn't totally off Sari. And given how Chelsea are liable to collapse if, if they go behind early, I think that's... Uh, what, what, were the, what what odds were them again? 7-2. Uh, to two. I'll take that. 7-2 seven, seven to two is quite nice indeed. All right, then. Uh, excellent stuff. Thank you very much to Andy. And thank you very much to Reds. But we will get back on with the show. And now we are moving on to Bolton Wanderers. And I'm joined on the phone by Daryl Morris, who is going to... Give us a bit of a lowdown about about what's going on at the moment and the current situation, Daryl, because from the outside, it, it looks like, well, it feels like it's been sort of precarious for a while at Bolton, really. How long have we got here, mate? How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to take a while. Strap yourself in. Go on. Um, okay, let me let me give you a brief history. So uh, everything sort of started to uh, hit the fan, if you will. Uh, 2016, when our previous owner, Eddie Davis, uh, who funded our trip through Europe and our wonderful, glorious Premier League years and our JJ Ekocha years and our Nicholas Anelka years and our Campo years, uh, decided to pull the plug and he said it's not enough. So um, he sold the club to Ken Anderson, who is the current owner. Um, in doing so, uh, decided to write off about £170 million worth of debt, um, although uh, Anderson, in buying the club, had to uh, take out a loan uh, in order to cover off some about £5 million worth of other debts uh, that needed to go with buying the club. Um, so we avoided administration by the skin of our teeth in that situation. Um, from then, we've basically lurched from crisis to crisis, from financial issue to financial issue, from bizarre moment to bizarre moment. Um, it's become clear over that period that Ken Anderson doesn't have the, the wherewithal, um, either financially or indeed in terms of his people skills, it seems, no. to run the football club. Um, so uh, this all sort of came to a head again in 2017 when we were on the brink of administration when Blue Marble called in that £5 million loan. And in that situation, Eddie Davis uh, stepped in yet again and provided a £5 million loan to Anderson in order to cover that debt to stop the club plunging into administration. So that was avoided. Um, most recently, uh, our most recent winding up order, there's been several, I think six or seven, potentially eight, winding up orders issued against the company over Anderson's time in charge wow. uh, has fallen again last Wednesday when we were in the High Court HMRC uh, seeking a uh, million pounds that they've been owed. Also over the course of the last uh, of this season alone, uh, the players have been paid late two or three times yeah. as it stands where we are right now on the 8th of April 
Uh, they still haven't been paid for their uh, wages from March. If we get to the end of today and they aren't paid, that means that there will be a uh, two-transfer window embargo uh, placed on Bolton Wanderers, who already had three transfer embargo windows um, over the last couple of years. So you can imagine what impact that's had on us being able to replenish the squad sure. um, or not being able to do so. Uh, and let me just give you a little snapshot. Let me just talk you through what happened last week, OK? <laughs> so Monday, we started uh, with the players having not been paid and the club staff, more importantly to them, having not been paid. They issued a statement saying, whilst we are wealthy footballers and whilst in principle there is nothing right with not paying wealthy footballers despite how much money they may earn, um, they are more concerned about the club staff and the fact that those people who have mortgage obligations and families and food to put on the table and whose cash flow might be a little bit, uh, might be considerably uh, tighter than those of the footballers haven't been paid. So they went on strike on the Monday. Uh, on the Tuesday, uh, it became apparent from a safety meeting with Bolton Council and uh, the safety authorities in Bolton that because the club staff hadn't been paid, they couldn't guarantee they were going to turn up on Saturday. They couldn't make the safety provisions and therefore the game on Saturday should be called off. And again, again on Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, Bolton Wanderers appeared in the High Court with HMRC looking to liquidate the club or wind the club up uh, because of a, an unpaid debt of 1.2 million. At this point, it appears that nobody is willing to finance the administration, so liquidation being the most likely option. Uh, on Thursday, uh, the players returned to training, but the uh, the PFA, uh, the, the, the Professional Footballers Association, were brought in uh, to uh, to mediate between the players and the club. Uh, the club staff were paid, which meant the game on Saturday could go ahead. Uh, the Bolton Council were satisfied. On Friday, a major IT failure put that game back in doubt. It went ahead or, uh, as of 2am on Saturday morning, not forgetting we, we were playing Ipswich, so players and fans travelling a hell of a long way to get to that game. We lost that game against Ipswich, the only club in the league lower than us, almost certainly relegated uh, 2-1 in a horrific display, which has almost certainly relegated us from the championship this season. As it stands at the moment, we either are sold or we'll end up in the next 28 days. Wow, which is which is kind of a lot to take in. And and as you say, the, the, the next it makes the, the next sort of 28 days being kind of so key, really, because, I mean, it was obviously good that the the, uh, the early AFL payment comes in, but the problem is you sort of feel like you're, you're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul in a way, isn't it? Because that, that that money, you know, isn't isn't new money. It's just kind of brought forward. And as you say, unless unless a buyer can come in, and, and I noticed that there's the, there's a guy who owned Watford who's, who's been kind of strongly linked and, and, and looks like a, a strong possibility at least. Yeah, well, there's been lots and lots of names in the frame. Um, Ken Anderson himself has said that he wants to sell the club. He's made no, no bones about that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 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 yeah, I would I would actually just like to add the point here. You know, I apologise for a long, no, um, a long-winded run, but but I, what I want you to get a sense of is just how disastrous this last few years, this, these last few years have been, and also just how uh, uh, disheartening it's been for Bolton fans to watch um, all of this drama unfold, and it has been a horrific drama. And um, you know, you, you mentioned there about payments coming in and out. It, it's very very clear at the moment that the cash flow situation in this football club, it, it is not sustainable. The cash flow situation is not sustainable. We do not have the cash coming through the club, either from the owner or from revenue sources, to run it effectively and to pay staff. So that's problematic in itself. Yeah. So you mentioned the former Watford owner, uh, uh, Bassini there, who seems to be the man in the frame. He has come out and publicly said he's the man in the frame. 
I think that Anderson has uh, has all but confirmed that himself in in uh, in his communications. Um, and and again, you know, this causes great concern for Bolton Wanderers fans because here again, similarly to Anderson, is a man who's been uh, who's been banned from from uh, from business. He's he's been banned as a company director. Uh, he's been twice bankrupt. He was driven out of Watford. Um, I have heard from several Watford fans over the last two weeks or so um, a catalogue um, of really really troubling accounts of Bassini's time in charge. And whilst Whilst absolutely you have to exercise an element of uh, compassion in allowing somebody to have changed and to have made a change and to you know to be able to be given a second chance, etc. The EFL do need to take a long look at this and say, well, hang on a minute, is this the kind of person truly that we want running a football club? Um, you know, and, and the EFL I, I accept also are put in a very difficult position because. Um, they, the, the alternative to this guy, it seems at this point, owning the football club, is Bolton Wanderers, a founding member of the Football League, going out of business um, and, and dropping out of the league. And so it's a bit of a catch-22 for them. Although one thing that I have noticed over the past couple of years is that the EFL um, have been relatively toothless, I think it's fair to say, um, in holding clubs like Bolton Wanderers and owners like Ken Anderson to account for their actions. Um and you know, it, it does feel a little bit like going from the the fi- frying pan to the to the fire. Uh, you know, f- forgive me for potentially being harsh on this guy Bassini and for not for not being willing to give him a second chance. But yeah. but at this point, you know, we're we're utterly 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 desperate, and it is yet more disheartening news. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the exact opposite of a safe pair of hands, which is what sort of Bolton need. And you might, I mean, you say the word yeah. disheartening there. It, it sounds exhausting, to be honest with you. And the whole point of, of supporting a football team and getting behind a football team is, you know, it's your enjoyment, isn't it? It's your enjoyment at the weekend. You work all week and, and do whatever it is people do. But but your football teams, you kind of release. And instead, it sounds like supporting Bolton's the, the, the kind of the most stressful thing you could imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are you are absolutely right. It is, it is exactly that. It is exhausting. And yeah, you, you work hard all week and you look forward to going to watch the footy on a Saturday afternoon as a, as a, as a place for you to release and to enjoy and a source of entertainment. And it's been anything but. It's been a source of, of complete turmoil. And, and let's not forget that, you know, football is, a, football is a business. It's owned by businessmen. Ken Anderson is the private owner of Bolton Wanderers Football Club. And therefore, it, it is essentially his prerogative what he does with the club. Um, what he can't get away with is not paying the players. What he can't get away with is not paying the staff. But you also have to remember, and you will be acutely aware of this, and you know, one thing that I've always admired about Liverpool in particular is, is your sense of this. The, 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 the people of the town or the city that that football club exists in are stakeholders in it. Yeah. The success of that town can rise and fall on the basis of how that football club is doing, how that football club is performing either on the pitch or as a business. The economy, uh, jobs... Uh, general prosperity, our standing in the country, our standing in Europe. I mean, let's not forget that Bolton is one of the biggest towns in Europe that had um, a mighty football club representing it on an international stage. And and we are owed at least an element of stability. We're owed communication. We are owed um, somebody coming in and running this football club in the interests of the town um, and not doing it, not doing so in the interest of, of personal gain. And, and that is the thing that is the hardest to take for Bolton Wanderers fans because we invest in this club both financially and emotionally and we are stakeholders in it and we are being done a massive, massive disservice in this whole process. 
completely agree with everywhere that um, yeah, football clubs are institutions. They're part of our society. They're part of our towns and cities, and they need better people looking after them and better people watching over those people than we have at the moment. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this, and we'll get that all back on, and maybe in in, in a few weeks' times, if you if you if you will, if you if you come and relive it all again, and to let us know how yeah. we're going there. But uh, yeah, in yeah. the meantime, thanks to Davo. You can follow him at Daryl Morris on Twitter if you want to kind of follow this as it develops. But as I say, we'll we'll try and speak to him again soon. It's lovely to be back in the Levi's Music Project, just over the road from Anfield. We've come up a couple of times before to see what they're up to here with the Levi's Music Project. Just to remind you, it was something that Levi's have done as, as part of their partnership with Liverpool Football Club. And it's all about well, developing young people's musical talent. So getting young people together in this purpose-built studio, which is absolutely fantastic. And developing artists, working with promoters or artists or musicians or different people who could all move people along and, and sort of teach the ideas of, of not just music, but also kind of working together. And I'm delighted to be joined by two of the young people who've gone through the project so far. So it's Michael and Louisa. Hello, nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. So first of all... Um, why did you decide to apply? Do you remember where you saw it and what you thought you'd get out of it first, Michael? Um, yeah, I saw it online um, on an advert. Um, I'm, I forget where now, but I, yeah. And then I Googled it again and saw the videos of the uh, previous projects that have gone on, stuff like that. And it, it was just something that I felt like I couldn't miss. You know what I mean? I was like really um, desperate to get on it because it's such a influential thing and it's been so helpful for me I can't stress that enough and how much it's brought me along um you know the, the connections and um the teaching that I've I've made here is um yeah I, I couldn't do anywhere else so it's, <laughs> it's been invaluable to me yeah and for you Louisa do you remember kind of where you wanted yeah. to get involved uh the same as Michael I saw it on an advert yeah. and I just remember I remember it was like really late at night as well just keep reading through information I was like oh I need to do this like all these like what ifs, like I could learn so much from it. So yeah. what, are you, what are your musical backgrounds before before this project? Um, I started singing when I was seven wow. um, and then joined a choir, Philharmonic Youth Choir. Oh yeah? Yeah, so I'm a choir boy. And then, um, <laughs> uh, and then I stopped that at 14 and started uh, writing my own songs and gigging. And I've basically been doing that ever since and just developing from my guitar onto more like electronic stuff, stuff like that, yeah. And how about you? Oh, do you know, I can't remember the first time I started singing. Honestly, it's been a while. <laughs> um, but, like, singing and song... Well, songwriting started maybe 11, kind of okay. stuff. But, yeah, I've been singing my whole life. Wow. And so you both applied. I know it was, like, madly oversubscribed. A lot of people, yeah. you guys got picked. So yeah. that's cool. So you turn up on the first day. There's loads of people you don't know. Yeah. There's press. Loyal Khan is here. You must yeah. have been, like, a bit kind of overwhelmed by the yeah, whole definitely. thing. Yeah, it was, like, huge. Like, so we went to, I think, the first thing we did, we went to go do a photo shoot. Yeah, the photo shoot. Yeah. Um, and, like, Loyal was there, and it was kind of, like, a bit awkward because everyone was kind of starstruck, <laughs> but he's he's so he's so like such a sound guy that it just it just melted away and we're like he's good mates with everyone here. He's he's wow. like one of us when he comes down. Because um, yeah. he's been up like four or five times, has not he? I was just speaking to the to the guys about it, mm. and I think sometimes you know you can have your headline kind of. Yeah you know, yeah. person who turns up on the yeah, first day yeah. and then kind of disappears. Yeah. But, I mean, Loyal's been up four or five times and I yeah. know has kind of made, a, as you say, a real connection with a lot of yeah. you and yeah, just definitely. really into it. Yeah, definitely. He's such a nice person. Like, I remember the first day feeling, like, really awkward, but yeah. it just, 
flew away straight away. Like he's such a kind person. So it's not, it's not just Loyal, there's been a lot of other people yeah. in the city especially who got a lot of musical experiences who've, who've come up and kind of lent a hand, if you yeah. like. Is, is there anyone in particular who, who, who's inspired you or really kind of pushed you on? I mean, there's been loads. We've had loads of amazing guests and that, that's what I mean, like that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. People like um, Sam from Bido Lito yeah. um, uh, produces in, mixes in. Uh, loyal and his manager and it's just all the stuff that yeah you can learn from them it's just absolutely like gold dust you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> to, to get to them so how would you say it's kicked you on like as, a, as an artist Louise obviously you said you've been writing songs since you were 11 yeah. so quite experienced now really but... well, I wouldn't say experienced <laughs> <laughs> but how would you say it's kind of developed you as an artist it has like the writing has developed greatly and again because of all the guests that have come in like um, Hannah V came in, she was talking about confidence with you writing, and it helped so much. Honestly, yeah. yeah. And working together as well, like, might be something that's quite new for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you know, Michael, yours, you said you've been you've been songwriting yeah. and playing with bands, but I think the idea of of working together with people from different backgrounds yeah. and, and stuff like that is is that been useful it's, for you? Yeah, it's been really useful. Like um, cross pollinating, is that what they call it? <laughs> yes. Uh, so, like, just I've I've worked with people who you know I wouldn't have worked with otherwise. Yeah. Um, and we've made some good stuff, or I hope it's good. Stuff. <laughs> they have, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been really good, and it's like Louisa said, it's helped uh, my own writing because now I've got different aspects that I can bring into it. I feel Definitely. like I'm better on a broader kind of scale at writing now. So it started kind of late last year, and obviously you've been you've been coming here sort of once or twice a week, isn't it? Mm. And, and kind of learning, and then it all kind of accumulates, if you like, and finishes of this mm. performance in Sound City. I mean, people around the world, you might not know, Liverpool Sound City, it's an international festival that takes place here. Every band in Liverpool, every musician in Liverpool wants to mm. play. They only pick so many. And you guys are just strutting yeah. up and just being <laughs> like, you know, uh, excited. Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. I mean, I'm nervous. Oh, yeah. yeah, I can't say that I'm not nervous because that'd be a lie. I mean, don't give too much away, but have you sort of sussed what you're doing yet, how the performance is going to work? Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we we, we're, yeah, and we're just, uh, you know, working hard to... to make sure the performance we do put on is, you know, the best it can be mm -hmm. for everyone. Because the standard's going to be so high all weekend. Yeah. 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 You guys yeah. want to be like, hey, yeah. I don't want to make you more now. But there should be like a big crowd down to watch you and I'm sure like Loy will be yeah. on, because Loy playing as well as he's yeah, I'm sure yeah, he'll yes. be on the sidelines kind of like cheering yeah. you on. Yeah. Last minute advice, yeah. you know, yeah. to kill oh the nerves. Yeah. But, but it, I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing experience to have, mm. isn't it? As you say, I remember the first time I played Sound City and it was a big deal mm. as a musician, you know, because mm. you feel like, like, you know, yeah. it's, it, it is kind of, you know, all these artists you see over the years who mm -hmm. have played. And so it's, it's, it's great that the project kind of finishes yeah. in that way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the perfect way to end it. Like, all this support, like, from people throughout the city and from wider regions, but mainly throughout the city, um, to, you know, the pinnacle be, at, like, the biggest festival in the city or yeah. one of the biggest festivals. It's, um, yeah, it's amazing. Well, I mean, we're hoping, obviously, that that's not the end for you guys in terms of <laughs> your developments and things like that. Has um, the kind of the, the Levi's Music Project inspired you to feel like music is kind of more of a possible career now than it was before? Oh, definitely, because as you're doing it, as guests come in, you get contacts and all these opportunities come up, and it's like you'd think that you wouldn't get this if you didn't take part in this yeah. project. Yeah. Um, 
meeting someone like Loyola guest Michael and just seeing he's just a normal guy yeah. who, who a few years ago yeah. was like you, just a kid yeah. with a crazy yeah. dream, yeah. and yeah. now yeah. he's yeah. like, you know, this international yeah. superstar. It like, must be quite kind of think. Well, if he's done it, I maybe yeah. I can as well. Yeah, it's it's reassuring in a way that like you just have to keep pushing and like he shares experiences like when he's played to like a crowd of like no one basically yeah. a broom you know what I mean but, <laughs> like, um, but and that's that kind of makes you feel better because we've all been there you know what I mean playing to to those sorts of crowds and now you look at him he's like headlining everywhere yeah so yeah yeah and just to, to kind of finish off in terms of you know stuff like this you know, that isn't everywhere, is it, in the city? Mm. You know, Liverpool's a musical city. It's got a huge mm. musical heritage. Mm. But, you know, we're seeing, like, kind of, you know, music provision cut in schools and things like mm. that, and it are finding harder and harder to even to find places to kind of rehearse or whatever. So the fact yeah. that Levi's have come in and yeah. done this and yeah. also going to leave this here for yeah. kind of yeah. future groups is it's really cool, isn't it? It is. It's great, honestly, because you don't, like, this sort of setup, you just don't find it anywhere. And it's just good that we get to have it here. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know it's gonna, as I say, Mike, it's going to be kind of a, a legacy. This this room now for yeah. for future for yeah. future Michaels when they come to you. It's kind of like no, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, here yeah, for yeah. the city now, isn't it? And that's a yeah, good thing. it's 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 going to be great for like everyone. Like we've just had um, school children in today learning uh, the ropes and stuff. So it it's done and you know great amount of good for. The community and will continue to do so. Well, it's been wonderful to meet you both. I can't wait to hear yeah. your music. I'm looking forward to seeing his live. <laughs> I'll be in the front with the banner. Yeah, <laughs> looking you. forward to it. Thank and you. Yeah, yeah, best of luck, not just with Cheers. this, but in the future with your music. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Great to meet you both. You too. It is a week where we are discussing Harry as Neil Atkinson in with Andy Heaton. So this is, if you ever listen to these segments, Andy, when you pull them together, normally I do them with John. I use Harry, you should see. This is actually an actual endorsement now. Uh, this isn't like a a blag. Yeah, this looks all right. I actually Harry's is my my reason. Absolutely, absolutely cherubic. Well, yeah. I mean, it's nice of you to say that. I'm as I was saying these little things. One of the problems, you know, we do video these days, and you know, you're not. Around. I was aware. I yeah. have heard the rumors. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you're knocking around in the office, and someone just says, "Oh, we could do someone for this video now to do this." And my thing now is, so I used to, I, I used to sort of probably look a bit scrappier on the whole. I mean, I don't look great, but I used to look a bit scrappier <laughs> on the whole. And the reason why would be, yeah, it's just audio, and you go day to day. But now I've got, never got a clue what's going to get filmed, and all this sort of stuff. So I am actually, you know, I now I don't really need to shave every day, like in a, in a Gary Lineker esque manner. But these days I do shave every day, yeah. off the basis of the fact that the last, it'd be terrible if at four pm on day two since I've last shaved if suddenly someone is, and I just look like I've got these horrible whiskers you, you, you haven't got that swarthiness that can carry around the stubble either oh, no, no offence no I haven't no. and you're right I, you're right you, couldn't, you know what you I'm could, saying could, you could not be more right not like, not like a Craig Hannon-esque you know oh god he's gorgeous isn't he uh, ridiculous though, what he gets away with yeah so I've got to, I've got to do it I've got to be sharp yeah so that's the pressure that's on me so yeah Harry is his they are supporting the Anfield rap um, and yeah I do use it uh, the foam and sh- sh- shave gel is great uh, it does the business and I'm still using the razor that is still an ongoing thing uh, that is what we're about here uh, they yeah. look posh as well don't they they do look posh and they are quite posh um, it's it, yeah there's there's it's, it's it's a weighted handle it actually wants me to say weighted handle on this but it is true uh, it is a weighted like handle a good, like a good pen yeah you feel yeah, exactly you know, it's got a bit of heft uh, a bit of heft to it which is always a good thing uh, and it is this idea that they decided to set this company up uh, after watching other companies uh, relentlessly increase prices and reap profits uh, and so they decided to box it all off by doing it direct to you so the way in which you get onto all this is harrys.com forward slash anfield harrys.com forward slash anfield and that'll get 
get you the trial set uh, if you want to have a go at it. And as I say, I would recommend it. Um, so you can start shaving with Harry's today. Uh, the trial set is three ninety five. Uh, go and get get involved in all of this sort of stuff. You get the that the the, the weighted handle, five precision engineered blades, uh, the rich lathering shower gel, and the travel blade cover. Liverpool versus Chelsea. Then uh, back with Andy, with Adam, with Mike, and with Kiva. Go to you first on this one, Adam. Firstly. It's one of them. You've seen their Haraway record this season. Against the top 10, top 11 if you include West Ham. Uh, mm-hmm. Top 13 if you include Bournemouth. They're awful. They have been awful on the road, Chelsea. They have. Uh, I mean, lost 2-0 at Goodison Park, didn't they? So um, that's always a touchdown. Um, I think they've... I feel like they've lost six, maybe drawn one away this year, or drawn lost five, drawn one, something like that. They drew with West Ham nine, anyway. One nine, drawn one, lost six. Lost six, there you go, yeah. So it was West Ham that they drew to, lost six, and it was Tottenham, City, Everton. Um, Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yeah. Uh, they haven't played United yet, but they've lost, lost to they've, Arsenal as they've well. They've been thrashed as well. Yeah, Bournemouth absolutely beaten four, battered. Was it 4-0 at 4-0. Bournemouth? Yeah. 6-0 at City. They've had some bad days. They have. The, the, the problem is they they are a little bit like the anti-Arsenal in that they know how to turn up at Anfield. Uh, that, you know, we haven't beaten them in any competition since 11-12. So we, we've drawn a lot during that time, but we haven't beaten them. So that, that needs to change, um, obviously. Haven't we? Is that right? Yeah, that's no, right. Yeah. No, we haven't beaten them in any competition. The one after the cup final. Yeah. In 2012. Yeah. In any game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any competition at Anfield. Yeah. The- at Anfield. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so they know how to turn up. Hazard obviously has decided to hit form at just the right time and have everyone talking about him as the best player in the league. As though if you turn up for two months during the course of the nine, that you're you're suddenly amazing. Um, but he he does he he knows how to play. Anfield he scored again, and he knows how to play against us. He scored against us I think the last three that we've played him in all competitions. So it's one of them where their their away form is atrocious. They've got this Europa League game. Uh, uh, tonight, actually, as we're recording, where you know, where they're going to be more tired than us. They just are because we've had two days more rest. They played on Monday as well, whereas we we played the day before. So the, the oh, in fact three days before, wasn't yeah, it? Friday. So, yeah. Um. So so everything is sort of there to mean that you know we've got the 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 rights to go into this game feeling like we should win it, but there's still that thing of how well they play at Anfield and how well Hazard plays against us that means I'm far from cocky. Well, Hazard's meant to be rested, according to the BBC. So For Slavia Prague, yeah. So that's, you Just know, keep obviously like sharp. <laughs> he'll be refreshed, won't he? And he looked great the other night, but... Still, for me, obviously, he needs to just that twenty goal barrier a season. He's he's not going to be here next season. I'm convinced he'll be at Real Madrid. But you know, he, he is a great player. He's got a low sense of gravity, hasn't he? He's just always great with the ball. And his goal in the League Cup sort of summed up who he is against Liverpool. He's one of them players who's dead annoying because he's great, but they just have that extra ten percent when they play against Liverpool, and that's really annoying. I don't know. We played the stiffs in the League Cup. Did we? It was the League Cup, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, did we played the stiffs to a degree. I mean, I mean, your lane goal. I can't remember the make up of the back four, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. He did best. just walk through them all, didn't he? Yeah, Moreno wasn't it? He, as well. Yeah, he had sco- he then scored him. against the uh, the main fellas when we went to Stamford Bridge, though. Yeah, different time. <laughs> it was a different time. There's all the other goals he scored against nah. Liverpool. <laughs> this, what, the point I'm making is, I think you, you can obsess. moaning this one in aren't you nil. <laughs> you can obsess over a player, and I think that's counterproductive. I think 
basically, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't forget about him, but I wouldn't make any special plans for him either. No, no, what I, no, what I am saying. Um, I, I just play, I just play your game and, and come up May, and I think that you know, look, I'm not saying Chelsea don't worry me. I, they, they do worry me. Um, they're nowhere near. The points total isn't anywhere near as good as what they should get given the talent they've got at their disposal. Disposal. Um, I think they're a bit of a basket up front. So I don't think they've, they've got any real fluid identity. So if you think about Liverpool, you know the way they're going to attack. You know the way they're going to play. Manchester City, you know. And Sardi's got this philosophy that isn't... You can't say he's implemented it with any great conviction, I would say. Um, and it, I suppose what I'm saying is I think it, it's, a, it's a funny one where Liverpool have just got to concentrate. So concentrate, forget the occasion, concentrate on themselves and, ju- and just beat them. Um, I think if you obsess over it too much, it, it's it's uh, you can come a cropper. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, it's interesting, Andy says, maybe the players are better than the points total they've got on the board so far, Mike. I'm not quite sure about that and that they're, they're battling away with three other sides who could all say that as well, so that suggests to me that they may actually be... The Sorry, no, just to be. clarify, some of, the, some of the results they've had when they've clearly just thrown one in. Oh, yeah, yeah the 6 0 six I mean? City. 6 0 against City, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, yeah uh, no, I, I, man, I, what Andy's driving at, what I think you were about to ask me, is that I think their ability... They've got a high ceiling, haven't they, basically? But they've got... In terms of whether you view them as the right squad or not, then... Mentality is probably an issue for them, but their ability to actually perform on a given occasion, I don't think you can really sort of question that. We saw that at Stamford Bridge. The, the only relevant game for me to take uh, into consideration is when we played them early in the season in the league, and that was a hell of a game, and it was proper cut and thrust. It was one of Liverpool's best performances of the season because Chelsea were that good for an hour. Um, so there is a bit of concern in that sense. I... But then this is a different era. It's not Mourinho. Um, I don't think Sparta's Spar- uh, got any way near the same level of spite. Um, they've obviously got this game uh, on Thursday night. He's also got to play his way. Yeah, and and but also I think he, he's in terms of his his uh, position at, at the at the club. He's still very much in that sort of recovery mode. I mean, after the um, the six nil and then the League Cup final when he was embarrassed with the goalkeeping situation, his stock was so low, and, and he's still coming back from that. Um, yeah, of course he'd like to win, but I, 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 I'm a big thing on mentality and a big, big thing on desire. And Liverpool have got a hundred percent more desire to win this game than Chelsea. I think um, as well. Sorry to put in there. I think as well. One thing, what used to scare me. You mentioned Mourinho. You know what used to scare the life out of me about Mourinho is his home record. They went four years Chelsea hmm. without losing a game at Anfield, and every time he went to Stamford Bridge, sorry at Stamford Bridge, and every time you go there, you're thinking. These aren't going to get beat. Or you'd be watching them against Man United. The Man United scored two up. And you go, you know what? They're going to come back. You just know they are. Yeah. We've not lost the game in the league at Anfield now for. Well, exactly. And you can't tell me that doesn't get in the opposition heads either. And the, the, it must the, do. The, the demons are just around the fact that it was Chelsea last time. Um, and, you know, there's that familiarity with the fixture. It's about the same time of the season. Um, but you take that, t- take all of that away and you expect Liverpool to win. And I, I, expect, I expect them to win quite comfortably, to be honest. Um, Adam picked me a team. What do you think he does at right back? What do you think he does at centre half? What do you think he does in midfield? I think we all think the front three will play. I'd be amazed if they don't. Uh, Van Dijk plays, Robertson plays, Allison plays. Fill the gaps in. I think it probably depends on whether he thinks Wijnaldum has had rest enough now, dropping out of the Porto game. He's not. He's not necessarily one for for going unchanged in the midfield 
because they've done well. Like he, he tends to just go horses for courses and wherever it is. So I wouldn't be totally shocked to see Wijnaldum, Henderson, Milner in there. The only reason why I wonder whether it might not be is because Trent's been targeted a few times the last few games and, and has looked like he's been targeted in a couple of them as well, if you, if you see what I mean. So I wonder whether he might think of putting Milner at right back just to give the defence uh, that little bit more solidity and that, that little bit more sort of, you know, firmness to it. Um, that that's my that's my area that's my one question mark really is does he put Milner at right back and then maybe go um, to uh, Henderson Wijnaldum Fabinho in the middle maybe um, what do you think there's almost too many midfielders that are playing well that we it's it's weird because like Milner and Henderson come on against Southampton and change the game Fabinho didn't weren't great it's sort of like this if you start them like against Tottenham. Like which is Klopp's sort of go to trusted trio, Wijnaldum, Milner, and Henderson, but that didn't go quite well. Obviously, it did in the end, but you know we didn't have the same game we have had in seasons before, and you know last year we got to the Champions League final with that that midfield. It's it's hard because Kate is playing so well that you want him to maybe score his third goal in three games, and you know he looks like a. A whole new player, doesn't he? We we knew that the goal when he got his goal or had a big impact like he did, it would just sort of it feels like a, a player who feeds off confidence and how I don't know how you can leave him out, but then you sort of don't want to put him in at the same time. Just it's such a difficult decision for Klopp, and you could see him going with that trusted trio, but at the same time, like you're not leaving Fabinho out, I don't think. And then it's like oh, just I'm glad he's got to make the decisions, not me. <laughs> My only consideration would be, I wouldn't change Trent, by the way, because I think that show, that eats into the idea that you're making special plans for Hazard and then he's in your head. My only consideration in this would actually be Jorginho, if he plays. Um, I'd be t- and I'd, I'd be pushing the, our furthest midfielder even further forward to just get after him. Likewise, they'll do that with Kante, who plays further forward, to do that to us. Potentially, that's where Henderson comes in to to, to, to that idea again, isn't it? And I, I, was, I was about to say that really... The, the shape, makeup of the midfield really depends on whether Klopp wants to go with Henderson as as an eight again. From there, he can he can get he can snap at uh, Momosu style, Jorginho's uh, yeah. heels, and I think that in in some ways offers Liverpool creativity, but it also gets at, gets at Chelsea massively and puts them uh, ill at ease. You also start on Trent, yeah. Well, yeah. No, Same reason, no Joe, no, no Joey Gomez shout. No, doesn't play for ages. Mm. I'll, be, I'll be saying that for every game until the end of the season. <laughs> the manager loves dropping someone in. You, I know he you does. To, are we all yeah, look, back at centre half, or are we all going with the took big me dog? An, took me an hour to, to recognise that uh, Lovren was on the pitch the other night, which is, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I get that. But Lovren is the type of player that can, can, because of his injury record, and it is a bizarre injury record, isn't it? That he can come in and sort of look as though he hasn't been out. I think in terms of the the, the type of injury that Gomez has had, that needs. That needs a, a different kind of rehabilitation. It, uh, I'm not quite sure how you achieve it um, at this stage. At this stage, yeah, might be a yeah. bit too late. Um, Matipol Lovren, you all dodged that one. Lovren, Ooh. if he drops him in, you can see him doing it because Klopp has a tendency to just go right. He's sort of back now. We'll put him in. Lovren does rise to occasions, but it can go either way, can't it? You feel like Matip being in there would provide that sort of just what we've had for. The past few games, which isn't he isn't always great, but he just does a job. I feel like Lovren going in, he could just capitulate or score the winning header. He's one of them players, you know. He's going to do either or. Um, I'm thought about it until he just raised it, and this isn't to knock matter. Um, but I think if 
I think when Degsy's got to concentrate on his game and he's got something to focus on, he's he's all right. He's generally good. The European Cup run last year, I think a couple of times everyone was worried about this forward or that forward. He's been on fire. I'm happy with either. I think for this one, especially considering he played the last game, I'd, I'd go with Lovren. I do wonder whether there's a conversation that the manager has with Van Dijk where he asks him who do you want to play with. I do wonder whether that goes on because I think he, uh, I think Matip's Matip's done well, but it it still feels a little bit like no one's totally sure what he's going to do from one minute to the next. But I, I think, think he is sure as he sometimes. well exactly yeah exactly. But I I think I think he probably goes with Matip and I, because I think Matip gets a lot of confidence from that. I think if he goes with Lovren, that's basically him saying to Matip, "You listen, you've been great for the last few weeks, but I, I still think you're a bit shite." Whereas if he goes if he goes with him again, it, it is a bit of a confidence boost to say, "I was giving Dejan game time in case you get a knock or Virgil gets a knock or whatever." But you but you're my guy for now, maybe. Um, I'll go Matip purely because I think he's improved. And I, I think it's fair to say he's improved immeasurably because he's had a run of games. And, you know, it's the first time in a while that he's played sort of like 10 or 12 games on the bounce. And um, I wouldn't want to disrupt that at this stage of the season because with Lovren's record, if, if he was to go with Lovren and then he gets injured and then Matip hasn't played for, for, for a fortnight, then to there's me something that's... That might, but there's also something in the idea that he might want to go with Lovren again against Porto. We know it's the Serenia, yeah. he knows the opponents. That's just and then he, uh, yeah. he's got a thing there where he, given Lovren's injury record, he, you know, the idea that he can all of a sudden say, well, you know what, I'll give that to Dejan. And then yeah. next league game, Matip comes back in and then maybe, maybe next European game you see Dejan again and maybe looks at it that way around. Yeah, I'm not the boss. Gomez, Porto, will wait. <laughs> Gomez could do Porto away. Uh, Mike Nevin, is, he's already kiboshed it, and uh, <laughs> he's nailed it for you. Um, predictions, Andy? Uh, 3 1 to Liverpool. Adam? 2 1 to Liverpool. Kiva? 2 0. Mike? 2 0 Liverpool. Wow, okay, clean sheet that Liverpool will go and do the business. Porto to come as well. Uh, Liverpool coming up against Chelsea. Uh, it's not the same as five years ago. Uh, the only player who will have played, who will have started both of those games is Salah. Mo Salah. Isn't that I interesting? Isn't that Isn't funny? <laughs> two most expensive goalies in the world as well. The two most expensive goalies in the world coming up against one another uh, with, uh, with, 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 with there obviously being a better one. Uh, anyway, thank you very much indeed to everyone who's contributed to the show. Mike Nevin, Adam Smith, Andy Heaton and Kiva O'Neill. Uh, see you next time. Podcast Network.